please turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, living out our new life in Christ. Every week as I prepare during the message, I get different ideas for titles to the message. Just giving you a little something that I do. And so what I do is at the top of the document, I just start putting all these different titles that I come up with. And then as time goes on, I just kind of whittle it down and and pick the one that I, I feel says it very well. And I think this does it today. As we look at this passage beginning in verse 17, living out our new life in Christ. I remember back in 2006. Now, how many of you have ever bought a new car before? New car. Okay. Wow. Now, I don't mean new to you. I mean new, brand new car. Let's do it again. Okay. Same group of people. You understood what I was saying. Um, Maybe it was just, maybe you haven't been able to, but you're just kind of still dreaming and hoping, you know, it's in the, but anyways, I'm just kidding on that. It is a wonderful thing if you can do that, okay? Now, I know some people say, never buy a new car. I disagree with that. There is a time to buy a new car. If you're planning on getting that car and keeping that car, it's not a bad idea because you might say, well, as soon as you drive it off the lot, it depreciates. Yeah, but you know what? You'll never get stung by depreciation if you keep it and if you take care of it. That's not a bad investment, and technically, there's nothing wrong with the new car. Technically, right? Anyway, back in 2006, we traded in our old Chrysler van. We had a town and country. It had all kinds of issues. I had invested large sums of money in it. Soon I had some major repairs that had to be done on it. One of them was a major one. It was close to $2,000. But we figured, well, you know what? This is an investment in the future. And then it wasn't uh, the next year, probably six or seven months later, I found out, well, this could actually happen again because we didn't get all the problems solved the first time. And so we're thinking, no, we're not going to do this. So we decided uh, back in 2006, we trade in our old Chrysler van with all kinds of issues for a brand new Honda CRV. And when the time came for us to get the new car, of course, we were very happy to do that. We were taking something that was very problematic, that was very uncertain, that was, in our minds, unreliable and could end up being unsafe, and we were trading it in. We were upgrading in our life to something far better than what we had before. And I have no regrets we traded in the old one for the new one, for the new one was so much better. Believe it or not, we still are driving that car that we bought in 2006. It has close to 160,000 miles on it, and it drives today like it did when it was new. That's pretty good. Honda pays me nothing to say that. And I'm not saying the new ones are like the old one. I'm just saying that has been a great, great car We both love it. I let Sue enjoy it more than I do. That's her main car, but it is a great vehicle. But what did we do? We took the old, problematic, unreliable headache, and we traded in for something that was far better. And folks, you know what? Such it is in life. It's exactly the same in life. What Jesus Christ offers is so much better than anything the world could ever offer. When our life philosophy, not ours, but some people's life philosophy, 
comes down to guys sitting around a campfire, drinking beer, getting drunk, and saying things like, it doesn't get any better than this. That is a pathetic life. That is a pathetic life. By the way, interesting, there's a, I'll just mention this to you, and again, I'm not, listen, I don't put a lot of confidence in any news organization, but there is an article Pastor Trout told me about today, or it was this week, and it's still up, I think, on Fox News site. They're not the ones who created the article. They're just, I think, uh, mentioning it, but talking about how that any amount of alcohol, drinking alcohol is actually damaging to your body and eventually can cause cancer. Interesting. Cancer link now to that. The message is not about drinking today. But I thought that was interesting. I thought you'd appreciate that. You know, people say, well, you know, drinking wine, that's a good thing. It's good for your body. No, no, no. It's not the wine. It's the grape juice part. Okay? You don't have to get drunk to get the benefits of grape juice. So keep that in mind. Now, getting back to our text here in Ephesians chapter 4, as we go through verse by verse in Ephesians 4, from this point on in Ephesians, it is dealing with the character of the believer, the character of the saint. An important point is this, remember, the character of the believer is what makes up the character of the church. The church is not a building, the church is the people. If you have godly people, you have a godly church. If you have ungodly people, you have an ungodly church. If you have something in between, your church is a something in between kind of church. We have a responsibility personally and also corporately to be the best we can be as believers to not damage the body of Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, and our fellow brothers and sisters in our local church. This is a responsibility that every one of us faces, not just church leadership. Remember, church leadership comes from the congregation. The leaders in a church come up from inside the congregation. So the expectations of godly character, that's not something that if somebody gets elected to become an elder in a church or appointed the pastor or whatever, you don't give them a list and say, okay, now, you know, you haven't done well to this point, but here's a list of things. Live this way now. No, no. The character must be there. The quality must be there before leadership is ever given. And that is important, but that's important for every believer. And so God has responsibilities for us as believers on how we live our lives. You see, the Bible is a balanced book. Listen carefully now to this. The Bible is a balanced book. It is not only positive in telling us what to do, it is also negative in telling us what not to do. Keep that in mind. Anyone who excludes one or the other is prone to get off track doctrinally. Only emphasizing the positive can lead to a shallow, carnal, worldly lifestyle that does not please God. Only emphasizing the negative can lead to legalism, and that doesn't please God. Yet the Bible contains both. It produces balance in the life of a Christian, and it produces true spiritual growth, the real deal. And folks, let me tell you something. When you see the real deal, you know it's the real deal. These people, who all they're, all they're doing, they're always emphasizing, the, I've had people tell me, well, you know what? I just like to think of all the good and all the good, and if I just think of all the good, 
and I just try to do that, I don't worry about all the bad in my life. Well, that may sound good, but that's not biblical. It's not biblical. I'll say it one more time. It's not biblical. The Bible is a balanced book. It tells us what to do. It also tells us what not to do. And this is very, very important to realize. Anyone who excludes one or the other is prone to get off track doctrinally. Ephesians 4 verse 17, it says this, This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. You notice he says this, I say, therefore, therefore, in other words, in light of the serious plan of God in saving souls from hell and building his church, we have seen that is the plan. Jesus is building his church. That's the theme of our study. In light of that, and how does he do it? By people getting saved and then people being discipled to reach others for Christ. God's plan in reaching the world. We covered it last time we were together. In light of that, there's a way for us to live. We see that Paul was telling them here to no longer walk as other Gentiles walk. To walk has to do with your lifestyle. To walk has to do with the way you live your life on a daily basis. You notice he says, as other Gentiles walk. Other Gentiles clearly refers to those who are lost Gentiles. You see, the Ephesian church was made up mostly of Gentiles. And so Paul says to them, now that they're saved, now that they're saints, he says, guys, now that you're children of God, now that you're saints, don't live like you did when you were lost. Don't live that way anymore. He is telling the believers at Ephesus to not live that way because they are now children of God. You went through an identity crisis, okay? You went through something, there was a change that took place when you trusted Jesus Christ the Savior. Whereas you were lost, now you're found. Whereas you were in bondage, now you're free, like we sang this morning. Whereas you were hell-bound, now you're heaven-bound. Whereas you were a child of the devil, now you're a child of God. You have a new identity. We are in Christ now. Now, As we get into this text, there's something I really want to bring out, and you usually won't hear this, but I think it's an important part of what Ephesians chapter 4 is telling us, and here it is. Paul's admonitions in this passage, as we get through it, we're going to see the general principle today. Next week, we're going to see some practical applications of the principle of replacement. But Paul's admonition in this passage and others to forsake certain things, deny, stop certain behaviors. For him to tell them this, these would be wasted words if believers would automatically stop certain things, persevere in the faith, live a faithful life. You might say, Pastor, why are you even bringing this up? Because that's what Calvinism teaches. That's what Lordship Salvation teaches. It teaches that if you're saved, you're automatically going to start living for Christ, doing the right thing. You're going to get rid of this. You're going to start this. You're going to replace all these things. No, wait a minute. If it was automatic, why does Paul have to tell them what to do? He wouldn't have to tell them. They'd just be programmed as Christians. We're not programmed. We have free will. There are choices to be made. And this is very very important. 
he is telling them not to do certain things. Now, while we receive a new nature, when we believe, we still have the old nature and the ability to choose right or wrong. And so let's go start going through this, starting verse 17, okay, which we've already covered. We're going to look at the characteristics of the lost rebel. Now, why do I bring this up? Because in verse 17, it says, I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. So we are going to talk about, he's saying, don't live like you did when you were lost. So what are the characteristics of the lost rebel? Keep in mind again, he is talking to Christians to not live like they're lost any longer. Do we get that? All that lost people have is the old nature. Do we understand that? That's why you don't tell a lost person, well, you know what? You need to change the way you're living if you want to go to heaven. Guess what? It's futile. He doesn't have a new nature. He doesn't have the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have the power of God in his life. That's why it says flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. You have to be born again. But we see the characteristics of the lost rebel in our passage here. You notice the first thing mentioned, the vanity of their mind. The word vanity, this has to do with an unsuccessful search that comes up empty. The vanity of their mind, the emptiness of their mind. They pursue different things in life. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try this. And they always come up empty. They always come up empty. It is a search that is void of results. It means nothingness. Verse 18, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Wow, there's a lot there in verse 18. Let's look at it. Having their understanding darkened. The word darkened, what what does it mean? It means to be deprived of light. Deprived of light. A person deprived of light cannot see where he's going, and therefore he has very poor judgment. Is that not true of the lost world in which we're living? They don't know where they're going, and they have very poor judgment. Why? Their understanding is darkened. These kind of people, they make wrong decisions. One wrong decision after another, after another, after another. How sad that any believer, now remember, he's writing to Christians, he's writing to believers, and he's telling these believers, don't live like you did when you were lost. And here's how you were when you were lost. Therefore, Christian, don't live the way you did when you were lost. I know I keep saying this, but this is a huge thing to understand. See, here's what I'm getting at today. You as a Christian can walk in the vanity of your mind. You as a Christian can have your understanding darkened. You as a Christian can be guilty of all the things that we're covering today in this passage, but God is saying, don't do it. Don't do it. Having their understanding darkened, deprived of light. How sad that any Christian would not take advantage of the light that we find in the Word of God. Do you know there are Christians who they're not in their Bible? Too much work for them? Too hard for them? Listen, I'm not saying everything you read in the Bible is easy to understand. 
It's not. It takes time. It takes study. It takes sometimes maturity to get to the point where you can understand certain things. But friends, because you don't understand it the first time through, listen, you're not reading a children's fairy tale. You're reading the mind of God on paper. This is serious stuff. And it's worth pursuing. It should be a life pursuit, a life study. Have you ever been someplace unfamiliar? Have you ever walked through the woods in in the dark? I can remember uh, before at camp, you know, we always recommend people bring flashlights. Of course, now everybody's phone has a flashlight on it. But I can remember, and I'll tell you what, boy, if you're walking through the woods and you don't have a flashlight and it's dark and you're in a place like a forest or whatever, listen, you're taking your life into your hands. Why? You don't know what you're going to face. You could get poked in the eye with a branch. You could stumble over a, a root or a rock. You could come ac- across a, uh, an animal, a wild animal of, of some kind, okay, if you're walking and all of a sudden you see two red eyes staring back at you. It's probably not your best friend. <laughs> it could be pretty scary if you don't have light. You might say a person would have to be a nut to try to walk through unfamiliar woods without a light. Yes, and you know what? A Christian would have to be a nut to walk through this life without the Word of God. Look at a couple verses with me. Psalm 119, verse 105, it says this, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do you get the picture? I'll tell you what, even a 99-cent flashlight is a glorious thing to have when you are out in the dark. You take that and you turn it on, hopefully with batteries in it, and you turn that on and you just, you shine it. Where do you shine it? You shine it right down in front of where your feet are walking. And you can see, you can see where you're going. Don't go too far ahead. Each step, you need light for each step of the way. So do I. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. Verse 130. The entrance of thy words giveth light. It gives understanding. See, when we get the light of the word of God, then we get understanding from it. We understand life the way God intended it to be. Lost people don't even understand scripture. They're not even saved yet. They don't have the Holy Spirit inside. How sad for a believer who is saved has the Holy Spirit who can understand the Scripture to not be in the Scripture. Paul says, don't be like the lost Gentiles. Take advantage of what you have in Christ. Let's move on. They're alienated from the life of God. What is that talking about? They're on their own. See, this is a choice. Let me ask you a question this morning. As a believer, is this how you live your life? Do you live your life alienated from the life of God? You might say, wait a minute, I'm saved. I have the life of God in me. I get that. But on a practical plane, on a practical plane, as a believer, are you living the life of a practical atheist? A practical atheist. In other words, you live your life like there is no God, even though you have him living inside of you. Think about it. Think about it. I said, well, how can a believer be an atheist? No, you're not an atheist in your salvation, but you can be an atheist by the way you live because you don't live according to the Scripture. Not a good place to be. Not a good place. Here's another one. They're ignorant. Look at that. They're ignorant. Verse 18. Again, this is a person who does not know the truth. They are without 
knowledge. We get our word agnostic. It's a Greek word here, agnoeo. We get our word agnostic from it. They are without knowledge. How pathetic for any Christian today to be without knowledge. There are Bibles everywhere. We have Bibles here. If you need a Bible and you can't afford it, talk to me. We'll give you one. People have them on their phones, on their tablets. They've got it. It's all over the place. Anybody with internet access has the Bible's there. It's all over the internet. There's even a website where you can go and you can listen to Alexander Scorby read the Bible to you. Alexander Scorby, the best of the best. And you can go right online. There's a website where it's free and you can access that. Really? Yep. Really. What excuse do we have for our ignorance? None. Here's another one. The blindness of their heart. This is another characteristic of the lost Gentiles. And again, remember Paul is saying, don't you now be that way now that you're saved. The blindness of their heart. This is deeper than having your understanding darkened. This is the result of over and over having your understanding darkened, where you become so blind you can't see. This is a core or a heart issue. This is because they are deprived of life, of light. How? By starving themselves of the scriptures and the teaching of the word of God. You know, friends, listen, and I am not lamenting this. I am just observing this. Every service we have, we work hard to provide for you the Word of God, properly taught, accurately taught, clearly taught. This church should be so packed with people that there's no room, that we would just have to expand, expand, expand. But you know what people are caught up in? It isn't the Word of God. They're caught up in the praise and worship band. They're caught up in this thing, in that thing, okay? This activity, that activity. And when it comes to the Word of God, it's like, well, whatever. You know, the Bible's the Bible. It's not a big deal. I don't need to... Let me tell you something. You do not see it as God does, if that's your mentality. God sees it as something vital. People around the world, as I speak today are losing their lives because they have chosen to meet together with other Christians to learn the Word of God. That is a reality. That's not an exaggeration. Yet where are we today? I know I'm preaching, quote-unquote, to the choir because you're here. But what about those who aren't? What about those that have trusted Christ as Savior? Yes, even through this ministry, who today are doing some other thing besides worshiping God and learning the Word of God in church. They ought to be here. The blindness of their heart. How? By starving themselves of the Word of God and the teaching of the Lord. Let's go on to verse 19. Who being past feeling, boy, now it gets ugly. It goes from blindness to wicked living. Who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with 
greediness. You notice the first one here, F on your outline. They are past feeling. You know what that means? It means you lose all sensitivity to right and wrong. Whereas there was a time when you get saved and all of a sudden your senses, your spiritual senses are aware and you have a keen understanding at times of right and wrong. And, oh, you know what? That, I used to do that. But that bothers me now. Do you know what, friend? If, if you don't make the changes in life, there will come a time when that which is evil, which when you got saved, you knew it was evil, but that which is evil will get to a point where it doesn't seem evil anymore, doesn't bother you anymore. Why? Because you've become past feeling. See, lost people, that's all they have. But we as the church, as the body of Christ, we've got something better. We have a new life to live in Christ. We should never get to where we're past feeling. Well, pastor, though, he's talking about lost people. Yes, but he's telling these believers don't live that way any longer, which means that they can if they choose to. They're past feeling. It means to become callous, to not care anymore about right and wrong, to become insensible, to become hardened. And guess what it does? It leads to our next one. They are given over to lasciviousness. You see, if wickedness doesn't bother you, you'll just go deeper into the wickedness. Prime example of this is pornography. Pornography. Now, we don't get the newspaper. We haven't gotten the newspaper for years. But I can remember when we used to get the newspaper, and, you know, there'd be ads in the newspaper, Target, Walmart, Sears. You remember Sears? There was a store called Sears. And here, all the circulars, and you'd look at the ads and all of that. Well, listen, when I was growing up, and they were, they were talking about clothing for women, they would just be a drawing or a painting, a color painting or something. Then it got to where it was women in undergarments. I won't go any further than this now, okay? I'm just letting you know. That was bad enough. Real women in undergarments in a circular ad. Ratchet that up about a thousand percent, and that's where we're at today. See, because people become insensitive and sensitive and sensitive, and all of a sudden, it gets worse and worse and worse. You talk to anybody who has a, an addiction to pornography, it all started with little stuff, little stuff. And then it can get so bad to where it controls them and they can become a violent monster. Past feeling. It leads to lasciviousness. It means unbridled lust, excess, licentiousness, lasciviousness, shamelessness. It is someone who is morally out of control. Well, if a person's really saved, they'll never get... Wait a minute. Put the brakes on. What are you going to do about the man in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 who was a believer who was having an incestuous relationship with his mother? I'd say that's pretty licentious. Paul told him, listen, I don't even need to be there to judge this one. Get him out of your church. He needs to go. And they did. They did. Next one, they work all uncleanness with greediness. They work all kinds of immorality. Uncleanness doesn't mean that you don't wash your hands, okay? It's moral uncleanness. They work all uncleanness with greediness. All kinds of immorality with a continual lust for more. That's the greediness part. In other words, okay, I'm polluting and perverting my life. I'm wrecking my life through filth, 
through moral filth. And guess what? I want more and more and more of it. That's the idea. Their sinful appetites are never satisfied. You talk to somebody with an addiction to pornography, and this is exactly what it sounds like. Exactly what it sounds like. Fire out of control. Now again, some may say at this point, but this is referring to lost people, not Christians. Yes, but it is commanded to believers to not live this way any longer. And I'm here to tell you today, friend, that this is just as, these things are just as much a problem with the body of Christ as they are with the world. It is a shame, but it's a reality. God is saying to us, don't let it happen to you. You've got a better life to live than when you were lost. These are all indicative of the flesh, and believers can live according to the flesh. Now you see in verse 17, backing it up, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanness with greediness. Whew. And now we come to verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. You've learned better as a believer. You know better as a believer. Hold your place and look with me to Romans chapter 6. It says in verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him in baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. We have a new life to live in Christ. What a wonderful truth. And let me tell you something, friend, the new life in Christ, there's nothing better and nothing will ever be better than that. Go back to Ephesians chapter 4. And it says in verse 20 again, but ye have not so learned Christ. And then he continues on verse 21. If so be that you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, here you go verse 22, that you put off concerning the former conversation, lifestyle, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Now, who's he writing this to? Believers. He says, put off the old man. Get rid of him. Your old way, the way you were, the old you before you were saved, put it off. And you notice it is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. So what does this do? It brings us to the challenge to live a new life. To not progress in the Christian life is to rob yourself of the great blessings God has for you. And we see three things mentioned here in these following verses. Number one, we need to put off the old man. To put away or cast him off. We need to reject the old man, the old way of life, not entertain them. We need to forsake them. Let me get a few specifics on this, folks. Your morals. As a believer, our morals, once we're saved, should change. We should submit ourselves to the Word of God, to the will of God, to the Holy Spirit of God. And we should say, Lord, change me. I don't want to be like I was when I was lost. 
I want to live the new life in Christ. Lord, change me. I surrender. I submit myself to you. Put off the old man. It means to cast off. We need to reject the ways of the old man and the old life, not entertain them. The old morals. Let me say this. Listen carefully. The media that we watched and listened to before we were saved, we need to reject that stuff. If it's immoral, no more. No more. The music. Let me ask you this. The music you listen to. Let me just lay it out today. I don't care whether it's rock, acid rock, metal rock, country western music. Is it promoting immorality? Physical relationships outside of the bounds of marriage? Is it promoting that? Is it promoting adultery? Is it promoting perversion of any kind? God says you shouldn't be listening to that. Movies, you shouldn't be listening to that or watching that. Well, I'd have to change everything in my life. Well, then change everything in your life. Let me tell you something. You'll never regret it. What Jesus Christ offers is so much greater than any of that stuff. Before I was saved, I, had a, uh, I was into cassettes, okay? I was into cassettes. Some of you young people are saying, what is a cassette? It was like a little, I was going to say reel-to-reel. <laughs> That's what I thought was the coolest thing. Wow, a reel-to-reel brought down to a little thing like this. I love cassettes, but here's what I had, folks. I was really into music, rock music and stuff. And I had a briefcase, a full-size briefcase, completely filled with cassettes. It was completely jam-packed with cassettes. I paid a lot of money for that stuff. But I'll tell you what happened. When I got saved, the Holy Spirit started convicting me. And I realized, you know what, this stuff, this is talking about immoral relationships. This is talking about drug abuse. This is talking about going on acid trips. This is talking about this. Even the music itself, the way it's constructed, it was very sensual and all that. And I realized, look, I've got I've to have peace of mind here. And what did I do? I ended up taking the entire thing and just throwing it away. Throw it away? You could have made a fortune. Why give it to someone else? That's like saying, you know what, I'm done doing drugs. Here, you take my drugs. Do you regret it? No, I didn't regret it. Or there are times when my, my old nature says, oh, I, you remember that? You remember that? Oh, yeah, I remember that. But you see what? I'm afraid to start going down a path like that because that's the old man. How do you know that? It's created by old men. And I don't mean gray hair. I'm talking about lost, degenerate, immoral, corrupt people. And I shouldn't be listening to it. I shouldn't be watching it if it's movies. Now, listen, country western music is one of the most filthy things in all the world. Not all of it, okay, as far as the words, but a lot of it is awful. It's awful. Shouldn't be listening to it. There's probably emails already being sent to me. (laughs) Friend, spare yourself. Take what you think and line it up with Scripture, or see if it fits Scripture. It's the Word of God that is the important thing here. I care about people's lives. I just want people to be blessed. You can go on with all this stuff, think it's not a big deal, but I think it is a big deal. I do. 
Philosophy. People get into philosophy. You know, Christians, they start reading all these weird books about this thing and that thing, and they're no longer in the Word of God for their guidance. They're starting now to go to all these secular people for their guidance, and they wonder why their life starts getting more and more complicated. It's getting more and more complicated because you're getting away from the simplicity that there is in Christ. The challenge to a new life, put off the old man. But can I say it's not enough to put off the old man? If that's all we do, what will that do? That'll create a vacuum in your life. But friends, you know, here in Minnesota, you come back, what do you need? You need a coat. Now, let's say you had a coat and you've had it for years. You have a favorite coat, but it's getting all ratty and ripped and ugly and everything. And you say, you know what? I need a new coat. It's wintertime. I need a new coat. And so you're outside and you notice how disgusting it is. And so you say, I'm getting rid of this. You take the coat off and you throw it away. There, problem solved. Problem's not solved. If you're going to put off, you better put on. You need to put something new on. That's the word of God. That's the way of God. You take the old, you get rid of it, you replace it with that which is approved by God. So we need to put off the old man. It must be replaced. Verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. We need to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. The renewal must be through the word of God and the principles we find there. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It is giving ourselves to God's will, which we find in the Word of God. And this is through learning and surrendering to the Word of God. Verse 24 now, and it says, and that you put on the new man. So what do you see? Put off, renew the mind, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Look at those two words. Righteousness and true holiness. Does that sound like an immoral lifestyle? No. Does that sound like immoral thinking, immoral standards? No. Does that sound like immoral actions? No. Speaking about Jesus, in Hebrews 1, it says this, Hebrews 1, 9, talking about Jesus, it says, thou has loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Does that sound like somebody who is not concerned about how his children live? If I'm going to be Christ-like, then you know what? I should be growing more towards the direction of loving righteousness and hating iniquity. So we need to put off, we need to have a renewed mind, and third, we need to put on the new man. And by the way, this is literally what it means, to wear. To put on means to wear. Wear the new man. I now need to live according to my new spirit man, my new nature. How does one live this new life? By trusting in the Lord and obeying his word. It is a trusting obedience. I love that term. Haven't heard anybody else use it, but to me it sums up the entire Christian life. How am I to live my life? Through a trusting obedience. I trust in the Lord, I depend upon him, and then I set out and I obey his word by faith. I don't just rely on my own resources to obey because I will fail. The flesh always fails. No, I have to submit myself and trust 
the Lord and then obey his word as I'm trusting in him. It's a trusting obedience. There is an obedience to be done. It's not just believing in him. It's trusting in him and then obeying as I trust in him. And he gives me the grace and strength to do that. Titus chapter 2 Verse 11, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us. What does grace teach us? The grace that saved us, what does it teach us? That denying ungodliness, that means rejecting ungodliness and worldly lusts. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. He saves us, and if we're going to cooperate with him, he will change us into godly, Christ-like believers, okay? But let's not put the cart before the horse, you may be here today and you might say, this is overwhelming, all this stuff. Or, or what are you saying? Are you saying that, that I need to get rid of all the stuff in my life before I can go to heaven? Absolutely not. You come to Christ just the way you are. Your good works or personal reformation cannot save you. It cannot get you to heaven. Your good works have no part in getting you to heaven. We've talked today about those who have trusted Jesus Christ the Savior and the life God has for us. But friends, if you haven't trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you don't have eternal life yet. You're not saved yet. God wants you to be his child, though. Let me explain to you how you can be sure of going to heaven when you die. This hand represents you and me, and we're going to let this wallet represent all the things we do wrong. God calls them sins. Here we are. All of us are sinners. And guess what? Christians are still sinners. We all still sin, don't we? Yet God loves us. He hates our sin, but he loves us. Now, the Bible tells us to get to heaven. All of your sin has to be gone because heaven's a perfect place. No sin can dwell there. And yet we're sinners. So what are we going to do? People think that, okay, I'll be religious or I'll try to live a moral life and that'll take care of my sin problem, but it won't. Death is the only solution to the sin problem. Somebody has to die and pay for my sin. If I die with my sin, I'll be lost forever in hell, okay? This is what the Bible teaches. But God doesn't want that for me. God loves you and he loves me and he proved it by sending his son to die for us so we don't have to die for our sins. And that is exactly what Jesus did. Now watch this. Here we are as sinners. No good works will take care of this. As a matter of fact, look up here. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. You're saved by God's unmerited kindness or favor. That's what grace is. And you notice it's through faith. It's through believing in Jesus Christ what he did for you. What did he do? Here it is. Because there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. God himself took on flesh. Jesus Christ came, lived a perfect life. And when he died on the cross, watch this, all the sin you've done or ever will do in your whole life, Jesus took it upon himself and he made the payment, leaving you nothing to pay for. Nothing. He was buried, he rose from the grave, and he says in his word, if you will believe, 
If you will put your faith in him that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, he gives you everlasting life. All your sins are gone. They are all forgiven the moment you trust in Christ. If you don't trust in Christ, the payment he made is not good on your behalf. You must trust him as your savior. See, if you don't trust him as your savior, you are saying, I'll be responsible for my own sin. I reject the payment Jesus made. I'll take care of it myself. Friend, you'll spend forever in hell. Trust Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. When you trust in him, he'll give you eternal life. Trust him today. Would you do that? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.